My name is Molly McCartney. I'm an intuitive medium, the author of the Amazon best-selling book, Empower Your Wisdom, and the founder of the Empowered Wisdom School. This show was created for women who wish to trust their intuition so they can follow their higher calling and their bliss without fear, doubt, and disempowering relationships holding them back. If you're a spiritual woman with a business or career in any field and a higher calling you've been working towards, and you want to be featured on the show to inspire others with your story, go to empoweredwisdomshow.com. For now, please enjoy today's show, and don't forget to subscribe for daily inspiration from our very special guests. Hello and welcome to the Empowered Wisdom Show. Today we are talking about going from being an invisible woman to a visible empowered woman. I'm talking with Piri Grossman. She's a midlife coach for women who want to reinvent themselves. And um, I know myself in, in my mid 40s, how, how, how things change along the way, no matter how long we've been walking the path of spiritual awareness, transformation, no matter how much work we've done on ourselves, there's a special kind of change that comes in midlife. And I've noticed that is a bigger topic than it used to be. And I'm so happy to see that, um, that life can really begin. We, we're in a whole new phase, a whole new chapter of our lives. And, and that's what Peary's all about. So I'm excited to talk to her today. And uh, so those of you out there that are dealing with this shift in your life and your, your perspective, you want to listen up. So welcome, Piri. How are you today? I'm so great, Molly. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and talk about this subject that I'm completely passionate about. Oh, awesome. Well, welcome. We're glad you came today. So why don't we begin um, by just learning more about you? What do you do as, as a, you know, we mentioned before the show, you're a coach, but you're also a speaker, a mentor, a leader. Um, just share what you like to do. What's your mission in the world? How do you help midlife women reinvent themselves? Oh, I love this. Well, you know, we, we tend to teach what we've learned, what we've gone through, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, my life, I probably am on my seventh version <laughs> this love lifetime. It. Keep it interesting. Um, all, yes, <laughs> exactly. And um, I just love to coach women that really at a time in their lives. And you know, it's not always women 45 and older that are looking for reinvention. I've been speaking around the country and I've been meeting young women in their thirties and forties. And they're saying, Perry, don't forget about us because True. the world has changed. And yeah. so they're moving at a much faster you know, rate than they used to be. But it's really teaching women how to, they may feel like they're invisible. They may feel at an older age that people just don't see them anymore. They don't hear themselves anymore. And also women in their younger age, they're like, if I don't look a certain way, act a certain way, if I'm not, you know, I have to be everybody else but myself, but be authentic. Mm -hmm. And my mission is to teach women how to lift their voices, how to go out and really just not dim their light, just make it so much more powerful. And their authenticity is what does it. And not be afraid of being vulnerable. You know, vulnerable is uh, such a word that was used in the past where it meant um, it just, you know, you weren't powerful, you felt weak. And vulnerability is what really connects us. So I love to connect with women and collaborate with women and show them that they could be whatever they want to be, that their dreams, they still have time to do it. And it's never, never too late. So that's my mission. And, um, you know, I do it through books. I do it through podcasts like yours. And I just want people to hear that, that message that their next chapter, think about that. 
their next best chapter is still coming. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, you know, just giving them that hope that it's still coming and don't lose faith. Yeah, I love that. And I loved looking at life like that. I talk about that a lot as well, that we are the the stars, the directors, the, you know, sometimes the protagonists and the antagonists in our own stories and kind of learning how that all goes together and learning that kind of co-creative way of, of reinventing ourselves and creating our stories as we go along, making sure we're not living on old stories. And, right. and the way we look at things completely changes what they are. So as we age, that's a big part of it for sure. So I love, I love that you brought that up. And so what brought you to this work? And I know you've gone, like you said, seven different lifetimes, many different, many different shifts. What was some of the earlier challenges that you faced that led you to this understanding that this was going to be your purpose in life to, to teach people? Sure. I'll tell you the shorter version. I was basically raised in South Texas um, by a schizophrenic mother. So I dealt with mental illness in my family at a very young age. Um, when I was five, you know, she was very sick and she took me out in the backyard and she put a gun to my head and said that she needed to kill me because my father loved me more than her. Mm. So from that moment, Molly, I realized that I couldn't be myself. I couldn't love. I couldn't show love. I couldn't accept love. I, I was afraid my dad, you know, spending any time with me because it shut down that whole love channel. Yeah. Unfortunately, my father was put in a position where he had to put her away in a mental institution for three years. You know, this was back in the 60s. And um, back in those days, they didn't know how to handle mental illness. You know, they were doing lobotomies. And so I had an amazing father who raised me and they say, it just takes one good parent. And he instilled so many wonderful beliefs in me. Um, but when my mom came home, we still had to deal with the mental illness and she was okay for a while, but she was on a lot of drugs and, you know, got involved in, in drinking. And so that whole environment, I learned to step carefully. I could not dim my light. I had to become invisible. Mm. So what did I do? <laughs> well, I became a chameleon. I didn't know what, I didn't want people to know, first of all, that I had a you know, mentally ill mother at home. So I became a chameleon and I learned to have people love me or accept me if I loved them first, if I just listened to them and I couldn't receive because if I received, that wasn't safe. Right. I mean, that, those were the limiting beliefs I learned. Yeah. So long story short, going into years later, and by the way, I didn't remember that gun incident until I was 19. Mm. I'd completely forgotten it. So I went to L.A. to seek my fame and fortune um, to be an actress. And of course, I was terrible as an actress, I must say. <laughs> I could not. I couldn't cry on demand or laugh on demand, but there was an area back then in hosting, and this is in 1990 when MTV and VH1 and e-entertainment television came into being. So I was one of the pioneers. Um, I was a television host, so I worked for E! and worked for Entertainment Tonight, but it was perfect for me because I could become an object. 
All I had to do was ask questions. I could read a prompter. I could interview all kinds of actors and producers and directors. And I didn't have to reveal myself because what people didn't know, I had no idea who I was. So isn't it interesting that we find things, the juxtaposition, here I am an invisible woman feeling that inside, but I choose a profession where I'm very visible, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So from there, I became the e-girl. I married a very successful movie producer, did Pretty Woman, and, and we became the couple in LA. And um, at that time, I never wanted children, but he had an amazing young daughter who's only five years old. And again, think about that, the age. I was five when this happened to me. And I met a five-year-old and I was scared to death. I didn't know how to parent her, how to be a friend to her, but she taught me. And that was the beginning of really my healing process. So I learned that I wanted to become a mother. So we tried many, many IVF treatments, about seven of them, so much so that I ended up in the hospital and went through a couple of years of that. And it just changed me. All of those drugs, I'm sure a lot of women that are listening, if they're going through the process, you have to be aware it can really mess with you physically and mentally. And it did with me. So unfortunately, our marriage completely unraveled. And uh, he asked me for a divorce. And I just gotten out of the hospital after being in a coma for about five days, very, very weak. And I remember I never felt so much pain as I did then. And so I did the unthinkable. I swallowed over 350 pills just to go to sleep, just to get rid of the pain, because I felt I was 38 years old. How can I reinvent myself again because when I was with him I stopped working I stopped working on an E and you know wanted to become a mother and was all excited but I allowed one person to take away who I was and my worth and I was willing to give it away and that was the moment the dark night of the soul for me the second time when I woke up in a hospital and God had amazing grace and gave me a second chance. Wow. So I remember the social worker coming in in my hospital bed because my husband didn't. And she said, do you know why you're here? And again, I had no memory and I said, no. And she said, you tried to end your life. And I thought, oh my God, how can I do that? I was still a faith girl. I still, you know, I was one of the cheerleaders of your, of you and your life and my life, but I fell that low mm -hmm. and I made a choice. Then I was going to find out who I was. I needed to heal. I needed to forgive my mother. I needed to figure out who the heck Perry was. So I left LA. I moved to Idaho because we had a second home there and I started the journey. And I have to tell you, kind of an embarrassing moment. I remember going into a grocery store and I was so used to in LA, you go anywhere and like, oh, Perry, love your show, coming attractions, you know, and getting all of this. Um, you, people noticed, people saw me, you know, all of those things. When I walked into this store in Idaho, nobody cared. Nobody looked at me. Nobody came up to me and said anything. And I had that moment of, wow, wow, who am I? Who am I without being the e-girl? Who am I without being married to Steve Ruther? Who am I? And that was the journey. 
And, you know, I overcame all of that. It was not easy, but I can tell you if anyone is listening to the story and they're at the depths of their life and thinking, why am I here? What's the point? Who am I? That's actually the moment of grace. That's the gift. That's the gift. Absolutely. I can absolutely concur and agree with that. I had my own situation very similar of, for me, it was a fantasy, but a shock of if I had a gun right now, I'd be, I'd be gone because this is just too much. And then Mm. hearing that very clear spiritual guidance during that time in my life that you can keep going down this road and you're either going to be dead or disabled by the time you're 30. For me, it was my twenties, or you go down this road and you're going to help, you're going to help other people with these kinds of things and more. And so, you know, following the light, I think is a really big thing to, to bring up in these moments that that's what the dark night's all about is to to see where that light comes sparkling through and say, okay, I'm not going to succumb to this, or I have a choice. I can't succumb to it. But if I follow that light, what's there, what's, you know, there's that power of purpose that comes in that, that visibility to ourselves. And I love that's a beautiful, um, it's not a metaphor, it was your life, but your story of being a very visible, invisible woman. And it was the going into being invisible, maybe in the public eye, to mm-hmm. find yourself, your true self, and to to see yourself for the first time. So that's, Absolutely. That, that's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Yes. Yeah, it was sure. pretty, you know, something that I hear from women a lot that I work with and um, this feeling of invisibleness and also the feeling of the imposter syndrome. And I know all those feelings, even though I was on television, I was very successful. I was, you know, later on in life, I worked with the Dalai Lama. I was, you know, chair of the Special Olympics World Winter Games. There was still a part of me, Molly, that I thought, oh my God, if people found out, what I really didn't know, but I'm here. So there's a reason whenever you step out of your comfort zone, trust the process. You know, we don't have to have it all together to go out and do something and and to make a difference in your own life. Or if there's a dream out there, don't wait because you're going to have those mental gremlins. They're going to say, listen, you know, you're not good enough. You're not, you don't have enough credentials. You haven't gone to school. You don't have enough money. Who do you think you are, right? You hear all of those gremlins, but don't listen to them. There's a practice I teach. It's like, I give them about two minutes. I said, all right, just everybody just talk. Everybody put it all out. Why I shouldn't do this. Why I shouldn't do that. Just go. And at the end of two minutes, I'll say that's done. And now we're going to do something differently. Because the only person that stops us is ourselves. And I know we hear that a lot, but you said something earlier that's really, really important in a spiritual practice. Excuse me. That is you are co-creating. When you have challenges in life, and I hate the word trigger because it reminds me of a gun, you know, to, to anybody. It's not a trigger. Look at them as their opportunities for growth. And it's not so much about what you're going through, but how you respond. And we've learned so much from data and science about our brains and our heart and that heart-brain coherence. And it's real. The moment, you know, we have what, 60,000, 60 to 90,000 thoughts a day, 95% is supposedly negative. (laughs) It really is just as easy to flip the switch 
and say, you know what? I'm going to stop myself when I have that negative thought. And I use two words. I'll say delete, delete, and I'll switch it with another feeling, another thought and turning into a positive one. Yeah. And, and it works. I mean, there's science to it. It's not woo-woo. It really, really does work. And it's very, very powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. Because this, whatever stories we're telling ourselves about what reality is, is what our nervous system believes. So Mm -hmm. if we are in that state of negativity or criticism or judgment or fear, like, yes, okay, we're in a very scary world. That's not safe to come out and and be visible and um, come out even of the spiritual closet and say, Hey, we have gifts to share. We have this, you know, whole reality that we want to share with other people. And, uh, and yeah, once we shift that or get into the heart space, it changes everything. It changes how we experience that reality. So you mentioned uh, it, briefly studying with the Dalai Lama. You also studied with Louise Hay and Marianne Williamson back mm-hmm. in the day. I know I'm a, a Church of Hay House from the <coughs> early 2000s. Hay House Radio for sure uh, was a big transformational thing for me. So what um, what did studying with those women and also the Dalai Lama kind of instill in you in terms mm. of finding that mentorship to then take that next step and and start to lead others because i think that's a really important piece of the the journey yes it is and that's something i always tell women is to look for those mentors look for those teachers and we have so much more access to them now through podcasts through youtube i mean i'm constantly listening to Bra- greg Braden and to joe dispenza and and just sitting at their feet and learning. And I'll tell you a quick story about His Holiness. You know, so I was raised um, as a Christian girl. I was a Southern Baptist girl through and through and then became Episcopalian. And I remember I was working with His Holiness and we did this Compassion Day in Sun Valley where we had 10,000 kids come into the field and they wrote essays about compassion. And we spent five days and he taught some of the most incredible successful CEOs from around the world flew in just to hear his holiness. How can they have a compassionate business? Mm -hmm. So compassion is very big. It's something that we all want. And, and by the way, meditation was new to me at that time. This was in 2005. I'd always believed in prayer. And so I started learning how to meditate, but I couldn't sit still. I had two babies at the time. Oh, by the way, I did remarry. (laughs) I did have two amazing kids, which uh, God again graced me with. So I think my son was like three three years old. My daughter was a year old. So I I had what she had, monkey mind. So sitting down, even for a couple of minutes, trying to meditate was so frustrating. And um, so I sat down with them and I said, you know, I have this issue with monkey mind. I cannot sit there and not think I've got my to-do list and all this stuff. And he started laughing. He goes, me too, me too. And I went, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> You're the Dalai Lama, or as my son called him, the Lali Dama. And I said, how do you fix that? And he laughed and he says, I'll tell you a trick. He says, when we have monkey mind, what are we, do- what are we doing? We're thinking about ourselves. He said, as you said, your to-do list, the things that you have to do for you, it's all me, me, me. And he said, I learned a trick. If I started thinking about how I could help somebody else, how can I be in service of somebody else? He said, my mind would get quiet. And he said, my ego would stop. And he said, my heart would take over my ego. And I thought, wow, that was so 
amazing. And I started doing that. And it was funny because so many people, you know, said, oh, when the Dalai Lama comes to Idaho, he's going to try to convert everybody into Buddhist. It is so far from the truth. And he asked me, he said, what religion are you? And I said, I'm Christian. And by the way, his best friend, Desmond Tutu, is Christian too. And he said, Perry, I don't want you to be a Buddhist. I want you to be the best Christian you can be. And he said, we all learn tools from various religions on how to make us the best that we are going to be. And I learned something about that because I had an opportunity to um, attend a conference with he and Desmond Tutu. And Desmond, he was a Christian. He was a you know Christian pastor. And they would get into these really amazing discussions but they had such respect for one another mm-hmm. and such love to listen and learn from one another, not making each other wrong, not at all, but they found the love. And I think about that today on how far our world has really come against one another. If you don't believe this or you don't believe this way, there's something wrong with you and I'm going to, it's like, no. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yes, Can I, we not? <laughs> yes. That I call it inflammation yes. of the ego is what I call it. <laughs> uh, perfect. I'm going to have to steal that. Egoitis. That. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because, yeah. you know, what I love to teach about, you know, intuition and listening to our intuition, as I say, it's the voice of our spirit. And it so is. when we are in that, we often are in my experience and, and the many, many people that I've worked with, they share, you see less to be afraid of, you see less to criticize when you're listening to the voice of your spirit. And our ego is all intellect and all instinct to survive. So intellect is the judgments and the overthinking and the this versus that, me versus you. And then the instinct is I'm afraid of you because I don't understand you. And when we just realize it's just this illusion of an old kind of primal self that's not mm-hmm. even it's not helpful anymore it's really not helping anybody no no <laughs> we, it's we not. may be able to shift the tide but we're working on it right <laughs> we are you know and I have people ask me how do I know when I'm listening to my inner voice versus my critical voice or my ego voice and I said how do you feel mm-hmm. how are you feeling yes. what thoughts are you thinking because your mm-hmm. inner voice your sage voice is the one that makes you feel so great. You don't feel less than, you're not, you know, in that erratic energy, you're peaceful and calm and loving. Mm -hmm. If you are feeling erratic and you're feeling less than, and you're feeling critical, well, that's what tells you you're listening to your critical voice. It's pretty simple. It's really not that difficult. It really is. Yeah. That's a really great way to put it. Just this and that, like, yeah, notice the feeling if you're in that contraction it's a no or you're in the judgment if it's the okay like neutrality to joy is that's your good place i call it the ohm zone you want to get in the ohm zone stay there as much as possible because that's who you really are guys that's who you really are right (laughs) right right so you mentioned that your greatest success in following your intuition and doing this work was to learn that you were lovable and that, you know, mm-hmm. that's a wonderful thing to hear from the work that you did from your childhood. But also there's something about finding that power in midlife. So was mm-hmm. it sounds like you you found the lovability earlier and now the more empowerment is coming in in midlife. Can you share a little bit more about that? Absolutely. You know, the one thing that I had to get over or learn was that I was lovable because when you have a mother who's dealing with a mental illness and the thing she never gave me was feeling loved. 
So you become a motherless child. That's really what it is. So I was constantly looking for people outside of myself to tell me that I was lovable. And so I did it through my job, through television. I loved having people. I needed that, Molly, to feel lovable. I was looking for it through men. I was married and divorced four times because I kept looking for it outside of myself. And it wasn't until I started working, you know, listening to Marianne, I started listening to everybody else. And I came to Sun Valley and I was in my house in a hole. And I thought, I need to learn how to love myself because obviously I didn't, obviously. And so how do you do that? And what does that look like? And what does that feel like? And sometimes it's really getting, you know, pen and paper and journaling and writing the things that you think why you're not lovable. And then you do the other pages, like things that you think you are lovable, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a journey. There's so many wonderful tools that we have at our disposal to to do that and to do that work. And I did, and it slowly happened. What I did at 55 years old, believe me, I did a lot of work between 40 and 55. And I had my children and I was on, I just ended my fourth marriage Um, I thought, you know, what's holding me back. I have not forgiven my mother. And I did so much work thinking I did, but I didn't. My father died and I hated her for that. And I was mad at God. Why did you take the good one? And so I remember coming back to Houston and meeting my mom at the door and she didn't show much emotion. And she said, well, honey, I guess it's going to be you and I now. And I said, yes. And I said, and I guess we got to figure out how to love each other. So I went back to school. That's why I'm saying it's never too late. I went to University of Santa Monica and it's a spiritual school. And just to learn how to forgive my mom, it was a two-year program once, you know, a week of every month. And I finally learned the tools. I finally let it go. And I went and I took my mom on a trip, which we've never done before. And she and I loved each other, held hands. And I, and she's kept telling me, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Mm. I didn't, I was sick. I mean, she was only 27 years old and here she is now 84 years old. And we held hands and we cried. And I said, you know what, mama, you were my greatest teacher. It's like I said before, those challenges, they are really the beautiful blessings for us, for our soul's growth. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And I thanked her because I wouldn't be doing this work. And when I found how to love myself, I realized there were a lot of other women out there that didn't know how to do it either. And we pretend we're great pretenders, aren't we? Mm-hmm. But when we get home, we think, you know, a lot of us have gone through divorces, we've gone through loss, we, we lose our jobs, our kids go away, and we're left looking at ourselves in the mirror and we say, now what? Well, that's the now what stage that is the beginning of greatness for you. And it comes in through lovability. There's a great book, Robert Holden wrote a book called Lovability. Love if them, you yeah. guys are, you know, into that, it's such a beautiful book. And what I did is I ended up meeting my partner now, who I've been with for four years, who's a very different partner than I chose before. And it was all because we mirror who we bring in. Yes. And, you know, when I became that woman who loved herself, I brought in a man who loved himself. And so we're much stronger as a couple. 
And that, you know, I'm 65. I didn't find that love until I was, you know, 62. And it's, it's been such a difference and finding the power in my work and the work that I do. I'm more excited now than I was in my thirties and forties, the work that I'm doing and seeing lives change and empowering women and seeing them turn into these beautiful, you know, phoenixes rising out of the ashes. That gets me so excited. Um, And that's, I think, I don't think I could have found this work if I hadn't learned to do that first. I love that. So many, so many little points popped up while you're talking. And one was the lovability piece. And I think I want to just kind of highlight that for our listeners that it's normal to to ask yourself that in those moments and say, what does that mean? Especially if you have codependent tendencies or you're a people pleaser or a chameleon, like, well, I know how to feel like I'm, you know, things are okay with someone and that they, we love each other and we're in this, but you don't realize no, it's because we're in this kind of pattern together that feels like love. And then when you get on your own, and, and I certainly had that moment too of, hey, we, we're not going to be in any close relationships for a little while. We're going to learn to love ourselves and find out what that is, that big mystery. And we only know for ourselves, like, like you said, we could explain it to people, share our story, but the work when we do it ourselves and discover what that feels like, what we need, and then choose to provide that for ourselves or ask for that in our relationships and be interrelated instead of dependent on people. I think that's really important. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's the first work before anybody, any woman, you know, works with me to, to reinvent something. It's usually about reinventing themselves. Like what is it that you don't want in your life anymore? So you can be authentic. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Clean in the closet, clean in the closet, clean in the closet. (laughs) The other thing that came up is you're 60, you said you're 65. Yes. 65 years young. I love it. Beautiful. Yeah beautiful wisdom. And you're pointing to something really important. And I I started this journey in my 20s and and was feeling the call for a long time and kind of had a slow wake up, slow development process. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, now I'm in my mid 40s and I'm just hitting my stride. And the cool thing about that is that we're, you know, kind of redefining the crone years in these current Mm -hmm. generations and mm-hmm. saying we're not necessarily, I mean, one day we might get tired and not want to do anything anymore, but for now, we don't need to shrink away into that yeah. invisibility. If if anyone out there is also feeling called to step forward to serve others or to shine your light, it's, it's really never too late or to do the no. forgiveness work or the heart-centered work. It's just making that decision that you're going to follow it. Like that's been calling me. I'm going to go ahead and do it. Otherwise it may follow you into the next lifetime. You have to do it anyway. So I think that... right. right. Exactly. <laughs> I, yeah. I think exactly. it's just great thinking about the wise women rising in, in our, mm-hmm. in our older years, middle to, to older years. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's what, it's something that's going to really help, I think in the long term in the world. It really is. You know, as Holiness also said, it was the Western women that were going to save the world. Yes, and did. now, you know, <laughs> collaborating together, which is so important too. And when you do hit, you know, in your 60s, it's funny because it's, it's, you, it's not about you. Um, it's mm-hmm. been so freeing for me. Yeah. It's, it's when I get to a place in my self-guided meditations and going into that, what I call the quantum between the conscious and the unconscious, and you get to play in there and you get to, you know, create and mastermind. It goes a lot faster. You sit there and you think, wow, I'm just one with others. Mm-hmm. And your light is still beaming light. It's still bright, but you're doing it with others. Yep. And it takes a lot of pressure 
Yes, it does. You know, it really yeah. does. I, I used to feel that calling and I'm, I've talked to a lot of my clients that feel it too, that I call it spiritual urgency. When you feel that call to, I know what I'm supposed to do and now I got to get there. It's like, it could be 10 years down the road, but the development process is the journey is what you've got to focus on. And of course yeah. that self-love piece is there and, and to realize, oh, I don't, I'm not here to save the world. I'm here to be a part of the network that's here to help. And there yes. is an enormous amount of freedom in that. So you can still enjoy your life. I think a lot of women who want to serve burn themselves out because they go oh, into those so people pleasing tendencies, like, yeah. you know, once they're in their service and their purpose. So I think that's really important. And, and one thing you mentioned, and I've loved this conversation, but as usual, we're running out of time. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> your, your biggest challenge for you is to, and I think this is very common to keep listening to your own voice and not be swayed mm -hmm. by what other people think you should be doing or saying, can you share a little bit about that and how that still get, kind of affects you today? Absolutely. You know, there's so many ways of doing and growing businesses. And I'm still, you know, I love, I'm an entrepreneur and I have a successful business and I have a team. And so you can, you can hear, you know, different people say, well, you should focus on this or you should focus on that. And you should do that. You should, 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 should. <laughs> and those are the times that my, the meditation times for me, the most important, because when I get into that space where it's just me and I really can hear and listen what my soul is saying, and I don't deviate from that. I stick with that. Even if it goes up against my team or other people or whatever, if I stick to that messaging, it works for me. I'm so much happier. I'm so much more fulfilled and joyful. And that's something we, we have a lot of people. And by the way, you know, one of our biggest obstacles is some of our closest friends, partners, girlfriends, everyone means well. And they'll say, if you come up with a dream and they'll say, oh, wait a minute, are you sure you can do that? You know, can you take away time? Can you blah, 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 blah. That's the time. That's really the time of saying, thank you so much for your input. <laughs> but this is between me and my creator. This is yeah. between me and my sage woman. And don't deviate from it. Don't deviate. Because even if you don't see a way in that moment, it will come. It will you you manifest, you create, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners know how to manifest. You know, it's all the energy. It's always back to feelings. How do you feel? How does it make you feel living in the future? And when you meditate, especially with the self-guided ones and go to Joe Dispenza stuff, they have been amazing for me. And I start living in the future, in my mind and in my heart. And I think what brings me the most joy and whatever visual shows up, is what I do. Mm -hmm. And it might be something totally different than what anybody believes it should be, but it doesn't matter. And it always works. It's the most successful thing. So it's easier to do as you get older too, because you really don't care what people think. Just to <laughs> That There's a lot of relief in that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I see that with your cards and I always like to draw cards for my guests. So would you mind if I shared a little bit about oh, what I'm seeing here for you? No, I'd love it. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. You're welcome. Well, you kind of, you, you just said it all. And as I'm laying out the cards, I'm like, yep, I see that. I see that. So, <laughs> you know, the first position is, you know, don't get distracted by the shiny objects. This is Colette Baron-Reed, Alberto Viotto, and uh, Marcella Lobos's deck, the Mystical Shaman deck. Um, so the rainbow is all about, you know, you're, you're 
out of the storm. You're out of the difficult parts of your life, of, of building your business, of all that, et cetera, et cetera. And so don't get distracted by shiny object syndrome. Make sure that you are keeping your eye on the prize. And then I got the, the beloved, which is being heart-centered, connecting to your higher spirit and, and finding that space in your heart outside of your head. So that's literally what you just said. So that's wow. really, isn't that cool? I love it when you, when you get, uh, you know, the, just the messaging saying, yes, you're on the right track. I love it. It's perfect, Molly. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Yeah. And it's really just about um, taming your mind, uh, making sure that you don't get into those spaces, knowing spirit is your boss at all times, because you're sure. very strong. And I've seen a, a book in your energy you said i know you said you wrote a book already but there's either a book that's going to be very instrumental for your next mm -hmm. step or you're going to be writing one about your own um intuitive knowings your own wisdom do you have anything like that planned i do i do as a matter <laughs> okay. of fact it's my memoir that i've been holding back on a little bit and i i i know it's coming i know yes. it's coming Yes. The, the big thing is to just stay in your higher self when you're in that. And as you share the stories, this is just coming up as like an obstacle that maybe you're like, well, how do I want to frame this? Mm -hmm. And it's really, I love how you called your mom, your greatest teacher, and you have a really wonderful way of framing your difficulties as lessons. So they're almost like parables or mm -hmm. almost stories that you can share to say, hey, this is how you can apply this to your life as well. So mm -hmm. it's almost, it's a teaching story, but also sharing it and, and, and being free and, and vocalizing that for you. So that's the therapy in it for you. And not worrying about what others think about it, whether that's people that are here or gone, that were part of your challenges. Um, there may be some playing small because you know, oh, I don't mm. want to hurt anybody's feelings or, you know, betray anybody with that. But the more that you let yourself free and see yourself as on purpose with this, um, it's going to it's going to show up as your ideal next step. There's just something, mm. whether it's the book or something related to that, I can see that as a huge ideal next step. And you're just going to go around the obstacles just fine. Oh, I love that. I will take it. I receive it. Thank you. <laughs> You're so welcome. Now you got me excited about it. It's so funny. I pulled it out. It's like, I need to do some, some rewriting on this. So that uh, completely confirms it. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. And I love that. So when my guests don't tell me about the book they're writing and it comes up in the reading. <laughs> like, yes, I know. It's like, how did out you of know? there. <laughs> Stripping in my office. <laughs> no, I was not. Spirit just tells me things. <laughs> but, yeah, this has been a wonderful conversation and so great to meet you today. Thank you, Molly. And likewise, I know I'm enjoying your podcast and it's just so important. And I, I think, you know, I encourage women all the time to keep learning is to listen. We have so many great teachers out there that we can connect with. And, um, oh, one thing I wanted to, to let your listeners know, I do have a, a workbook that is, um, it's basically the five activator steps on how you can reinvent yourself or reinvent something about yourself or create a project. It's on Amazon. Um, but I also have a freebie for them too. If you um, go on my website, which is, and I'll spell it out because my name is spelled weird. Um, it's Perry, P-I-R-I-E. Jones, J-O-N-E-S, Grossman.com. Uh, and it's, um, you can download what we call journal prompts about, and these are deep questions to ask yourself, to get you thinking, to get you out of your comfort zone and think about what do I need to 
what do I need to create? What is that calling? Or if you know what it is, you have a book inside of you or a movie or whatever podcast, what are the steps and how do I deal with the obstacles? So um, I wrote that after the book because so many people you know, we're asking, oh my gosh, how can I do it? So I sat down and literally wrote this out in a, a couple of days. It just flowed. Wow. And um, so they can go there on Amazon and get that if you just want to get a guide. Sounds great. And your website is what again, in case yes, you want to go there? Sure. It's perryjonesgrossman.com. Awesome. And it's P-I-R-I-E. -P awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing your light today. This has been wonderful. Thank you, Molly. You're welcome. <laughs> and thanks, guys, for listening. We'll catch you next time. Hey there. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to hear more from our wise and wonderful guests, make sure you subscribe for daily interview content. And here's three ways I can help empower your wisdom for free. Number one, grab your copy of my Empower Your Life workbook. It will help you honor your inner voice, make way for new visions, and live with intention. Go to empoweredwisdomshow.com forward slash workbook to get your copy today. Two, if you're a woman with a well-established business or career and your intuition is nudging you to go in a more spiritual direction, we want to interview you on this show. Head to empoweredwisdomshow.com. Three, listen and subscribe to our sister podcast, The Empowered Wisdom Hour, for free teachings, guided meditation, and channeled wisdom to help you thrive. You can listen on Apple, Spotify, and most major podcast platforms. At Empowered Wisdom Coaching, we help intuitive, spiritual, and high-achieving women who feel disempowered by self-doubt and relationship patterns realize their power and go for what they want without holding back. If you're ready to release doubt, fear, and disempowering relationships so you can follow your calling and your bliss the intuitive way, book a call to see how I can help. Go to mollymccartney.com forward slash chat.